Welcome to the Silver and Mature Womanpreneur Podcast, a podcast for and by women over 50, providing faith-building strategies for female entrepreneurs looking to achieve higher levels of productivity, capacity, and growth, where we strive to focus on God's agenda while building our businesses to serve our community with excellence. Welcome to the podcast. All right, all right. Welcome to the Silver and Mature Womanpreneur podcast. This is a premier show for and by women over 50. Today, I have the pleasure of having Reggie Stearns on the show. I'm so excited about this. We were talking a little bit prior uh, to hitting the record button. We were talking about when we met, and I think it's somewhere between 20 and 25 years ago, and I was just sharing that I'm so excited to reconnect uh, with her. And so uh, I remember you know, coming to your office, Reggie, some years ago, and we talked about, we were talking about you know, organizing and things like that and time management, and that's what I was um, you know, sharing at the time, I would go to different um, clients' offices and, and uh, just share you know, some tips and things like that. But aside from that, for the sake of the audience, Reggie brings her organizational skills, design flair, and technological advancements to the world of construction. She offers more than 20 years of expertise in creating streamlined processes, I so love that, to help builders, homeowners, and realtors with their new residential and estate construction projects. She understands the importance of being detailed and process-oriented. Reggie is a fourth-generation entrepreneur, and she's passionate about residential construction and consulting. Welcome to the show, Reggie. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for having me, and I am elated for the invite. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, know, you, go ahead, go ahead. It's so nice to talk to women that are 50 and older. You know, I know, and as we were just talking about it, it's like I don't know what it was supposed to feel like, but I don't feel like I am like 62, okay? So I don't know what that was supposed to feel like. I still feel, you know, amazing. I still feel great, you know, and I'm thankful for that. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Did you have any idea in terms of, like, 30 years ago, or even when you were younger, you know, as a kid, what it would feel like to be 50 or 60? Did you have any thoughts about that? No, I just remember at 20 and 25, if I met somebody that was 50, I just thought, oh, my God, like, you know, they were old. And then yeah. the closer I got to that number, I thought, 50 is so young. You know, like my whole perspective changed. So, yeah, I, I'm sure that I was very young and naive to people that were older, but I, but I will say this. I look around and I see more younger people dying or obese mm -hmm. or they're 30, but they look 60, you know. So mm -hmm. I am very grateful for my 56 years of age 
and the fact that I still feel like I'm 30. Yeah. Yeah. Now, okay, I have gray hair, and I do like my gray hair, right? But I have come to appreciate a really good wig or two. So, you know, I <laughs> like it. my gray hair. I don't want dirty, dusty, yellow gray hair. I mm-hmm. want white. If it's going to come in gray or white, I need it to be gray or white. I don't need the yellow, the, the you know, the tinge of yellow or green. Mm-hmm. No. So I, that. You know, probably gives my age away more than anything, but so be it. Well, you know, it's funny you said that. The reason that I um, called this whole project Silver, Silver and Mature Womenpreneur, is because of my gray hair. And I um, began. I didn't initially embrace it. I mean, like I was getting it colored, um, and for a long time, I mean, I fought it tooth and nail. And then finally, I had to give up the ghost. You know, I had to just surrender to, you know, the gray. But then as I did it, as I embraced it more, and I'm like you, I don't like the yellow, you know, kind of thing. And and because my hair was, you know, kind of sandy brown, that's what was coming in. And so, uh, but I so love my gray hair, and I am just embracing it and, and, and just loving this season in my life. And so, you yeah. know, my, my grandmother told me years ago that, you know, it was just an additional sign of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so I also think that that has something to do with it. I earned every bit of Girl. this gray hair, mm-hmm. and I'm okay Yes, yes, and I, I, I'm, I'm so with you on that. So let's kind of get into, uh, you know, some of the questions. I know um, that there are some questions that my listeners are going, are going to want to know, and so some of the questions that I have, you know, for you, I know that they're going to help, you know, help them immensely. So why? I want to start out with this question, and. Why is it so important to operate in your gifting? Why is that important? Well, for me, I just believe that everybody was sent here with a gift and on purpose, right? And so if we operate according to the design, divine design and plan, then we're not stressed. So sorry. We're not stressed. We're not overextended. We flow. And, and we're happier because we're, we're in our right lane. We're doing what it is that we were created to do. So that, to me, is why it's so very important. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's something that you said, you know, about operating, and, and, and operating in your gift. And, and that doesn't mean, let me say it this way, it doesn't mean that things aren't going to be stressful at times or there's not going to be some resistance because there, you know, as believers, I believe that there's going to be even more resistance, you know, in terms of us operating in our gifting and our divine calling and our gifting and because the enemy doesn't want us to, to mm-hmm. operate that way. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, you know, some and I've heard, you know, people um, 
at, at, at different points in time, you know, thinking that way. And so uh, I love what you said about, you know, the importance of operating in your gifting. And which brings me to my next question, because in the introduction, uh, I think I said it in the introduction. Yeah, I did. I said in the introduction that you are a fourth generation entrepreneur. And I wanted yeah. to ask about that, because... I so love the fact that this is this is a, this has been a legacy that's passed on to you. This entrepreneurial spirit that has been passed on to you, and you have you know taken it on, take, uh, taken it was the torch, if you will, and mm-hmm. um, and and I guess my question is, how important is that? Is that something you you plan to pass on to your you know children? I'm not, and I don't know if you have children. I don't think I've asked. No, you haven't, but that's okay. I'll tell you. So okay. you know what? Entrepreneurship for me is really important because that's really all I saw. Like mm. that's all I saw. That's all I knew. Even when I went to college, and so I have two degrees, and my first degree was uh, in business management minor, uh, administration minor management. And my parents paid for that degree. So, and plus, I had started working in the family business at age, you know, 12, 14, right? So, and then I finally got my first real job at 17 where it wasn't, you know, related to a family member. But um, it, I don't think I knew anything else. And so even when I graduated from college, I got a job. But you know how people kind of go in and they get settled, you know, and they, they, you know, they go in and they post all the pictures. Mm -hmm. I knew that I would not be settling in because I knew that I wouldn't be there long. I didn't know what type of company I would own. I didn't Mm -hmm. quite know what I would do. I just understood somewhere within me that I would not be working for a company. And, And at that time, well, no. I worked for a company, and then eventually I worked for the government. But mm-hmm. I knew that that's not where I would be forever. So mm-hmm. my intent going in was to go in and learn everything you can because you're going to have to apply it in your business. And so when I worked for different companies, I would get there, I would, uh, you know, excel, and I would do certain things. And so even when I retired from the government, they were shocked because they were like, well, you, you, know, you know, what can we do? What is, what went wrong? Like, you, you know, you were on track <laughs> to do this and the other. What, why are you leaving? And I mm. told him it was never my intent to stay, right? Mm. But I, I had, at that point, I felt like I got everything I needed, and it was time for me to go. Mm. And so everything I'd learned, I applied. I felt like if I did it for somebody else, I could do it for me. And if I could not do it for me, shame on me for yeah. thinking and providing all of me to another organization, company, entity, but not being able to do it for myself. And when I say do it for myself, Mm -hmm. just like when I worked for the government or those other companies, whatever organizations I joined that were industry organizations or whatever training I felt like, if I did it then, I felt like God would give me everything for me to do it on the other end. So do you see what I'm saying? So, I couldn't, I would not allow myself to get over to my company and then deprive myself or my employees of what would have made us better. 
Wow, that, oh my gosh, that is so, so profound. I love the word that you use, deprived, because a lot of, a lot of us don't look at it that way, you know? Well, and so, ag- go ahead. Again, I think it goes back to, and I think that is one thing that prevents people from becoming entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. They get comfortable with the every other week paycheck, mm-hmm. and they get comfortable in knowing that, oh, well, you know, uh, the government will pay for me to go back to school. You pay for yourself to go back to school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because the reality is when you're operating in purpose, God is mm-hmm. going to give you everything you need, and I do know that. Yeah. Now, sometimes we can look at it, and it doesn't seem like that, but that's when – I don't know if this is a, a faith-based show, but that's yes, it is. Yes, it, it is. makes a difference, right? Mm-hmm. Because – we can we can say a lot of things, and we can wait until we see it. But sometimes you got to operate in faith, and it mm-hmm. is so. Mm-hmm. But it's only so if you believe. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That you know. I think about as you were saying that. I was thinking about um, you know growing up. I remember my first entrepreneurial endeavor, which was in high school. Now, I didn't have, you know, I didn't come from a fourth generational, uh, you know, entrepreneur, you know, type background or anything. Um, But uh, I knew inside of me that somehow that was going to be, I, I just didn't see myself working for you know, someone for the rest of my life. And even when I was in corporate America and I even, you know, worked in other, you know, my my, uh, career, you know, kind of changed, you know, from time to time, I I just, something just made me not satisfied. (laughs) It was like, it was something in me. It was like I knew that it was going to be something else. I didn't know what it looked like, but I knew it was going to be Mm -hmm. something else. And so... Mm -hmm. Do you re- do you remember your first entrepreneurial endeavor? I know you said you you know you were twelve years old, I believe, and you were you know with your family. What about when you went on your own? Well, so I I think I remember everything I did, but I I don't, wasn't one of those ch- children that had the lemonade stand, right? So right, you know, in <laughs> since, uh, in one instance, let me see how I could put it. I was a little entitled. So mm-hmm. because my family had a business, I didn't necessarily think I needed a job, right? So that was problem number one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that other people have, when they don't come from a family of entrepreneurs, they got to make it happen, right? So I was a little entitled for a while. And then it wasn't until my sophomore year in college. And it hit me. I looked at my my mom and my dad and my uncles, and I said, okay, that is their money, mm. right? Like they were the ones that have accomplished certain things, and I'm asking them for things, and they're giving it to me, you know, sad but true. My, and my mm-hmm. mom and dad said, no, my mom and dad are very disciplinary people. If they would say no because my uncles love me so much, I would just say, okay, you know, and then call them. But it just hit me one day. And I think looking at my, at the amount of people from my high school that 
that transitioned into adulthood well. I didn't see them do that well. And so I began to look at me and I asked myself, who, who am I and what did I want to do with my life? And that was a decision that I had to make and I couldn't depend on anybody else to make that decision. So I had to talk myself out of the entitled state of mind. Mm. And then another thing that I feel like happens within black families is even though I came from that rich heritage, it wasn't taught as much as it should have been. I got Mm -hmm. it through somewhat of osmosis, Mm -hmm. but no one sat down and said, you will do this or you can't, you know, they didn't Mm -hmm. really give me the roadmap. Does that make sense? And I wish I had gotten more of a roadmap from my Mm -hmm. grandfather because Mm -hmm. I think about what my great-grandfather was able to do and own in a time where there were so many other restrictions. And so sometimes it makes me look at me and say, I haven't done enough. Not that I'm necessarily comparing it, but for him to have done that and he had all the barriers that he had, I don't have anything. So, no, I don't remember my first necessary endeavor. However, that was a moment in time that I knew I had to get serious about my life. And then when I graduated, I knew that I did not know what I would own or operate, or I, nor did I have a gadget, you know, to put on the market. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's when I knew that I had to get a job and I had to really dig deep within. And so I don't really have one of those lemonade stories. I just have an epiphany <laughs> that came <laughs> that in order for me to uh, align myself with what I felt inside, mm-hmm. I had to start really understanding who I was and not ride in on the coattails of my relatives. That yeah. is what I knew. And from that moment to this moment, I stopped asking. I, my dad, you know, that I stopped asking mm-hmm. for anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So he, they still had to take care of me junior, senior year, but mm-hmm. never did I start just, I, I stopped asking because I yeah. felt like that was a part of me maturing and becoming the person that I needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I want to talk a little bit about your uh, business and what you do to, um, to help your clients. So, um, because, you know, being in, in this, in, in the, I would, I would assume that this is a very, very much a male-dominated industry. Would I be correct yes, in assuming that? Okay. And so what, what are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome being in a male-dominated uh, industry, like, in, you know, in the construction consulting uh, industry. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I started this company in 1997, right? Mm-hmm. And I worked it until about 2000, between 2006 and eight, and then the mortgage industry started getting really crazy. And at that, by that time, I was married. So then I pulled out because, you know, my husband at that time said, you know, you – 
don't necessarily have to go through all that because I know the time that it takes to do what you do. And we had another company, so we just put our time and energy into growing and expanding that other company in which we did. But I said all that to say, 1997, I entered the market. Oh, I graduated from uh, University of Oklahoma College of Architecture. I worked for three different companies, and I took my time to research the market to determine where there was a gap. And I discovered at that time that a lot of people in Texas were building custom homes, very large homes, 10,000 square feet and above, but before the halfway point, they would fall out with the builders. And, you know, and just one thing over the – uh, one thing after another, there would be countless change orders. The project would go from one amount to, I mean, just all these things. Well, I'm a very process-oriented person. And remember, I was looking for the niche in that market because by this time I had gotten my first degree and I knew that I was gifted in design, so I went back and got my second degree, but I knew that I couldn't survive off of entry-level pay. Mm-hmm. So I had to be very strategic about how I entered the market. And that's where I saw a gaping hole. Most builders and architects, they are good at what they do, but they're not psychologists. They don't necessarily try to finesse when they're talking to a homeowner about what she wants when she's absolutely uncertain because she just doesn't have the confidence. If you're not, if your background's not designed and you're building a $1. million house or more, you know, all you know is that you want it to look good and you know you want your kitchen to be fabulous, but that's not the detail that he needs. And most people just didn't know the detail. Well, I came up with a process and a system by which I extract the details, the information that the builder and architect is going to need from you, and I put it in a format that makes sense not only to you, but to him, and then they can go forward with creating the right set of uh, drawings, which then Uh, gets converted into construction drawings, and once it's converted, we've gone over all the details why it was in plan stage so that when it gets to construction stage, that document is what the contractors use to build. So it's like a written document for them. Even though it's drawings and it makes no sense to you sometimes, it is exactly what the contractor needs. And if it has everything on that construction document that the contractor needs, you don't have to feel like you've got to be at the job site morning, noon, and night. And whenever you meet people and they're mad at their builder or they feel like they have to camp out at the job site, it's because they had poor construction documents, meaning the contractor did not have a good set of working documents to build your home from. Wow. Wow. And that is very important because the only thing that people want to know, the husband wants to know how much it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. And the wife wants to know that she can have this, 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 and this in her mm-hmm. kitchen, her master bedroom, and then in those family rooms that are most important. To her. You know what I'm saying? So, but yeah. you can't get there if you're all talking different languages. It's like a marriage, right? You're going to be married to this person for at least a year or two. And so since you're going to be married to this person, you have to start communicating, and everybody has to be on the same page. You yeah. can only get on the same page if you pre – if you. Uh, you have to do everything in advance in order to make sure that once you start that building process, it goes smoothly, mm-hmm. right? And so, yes, when I entered the market, I, I'm still really 
this is like something that people don't do. You have interior decorators, you have interior designers, but you don't have somebody who's doing pre-construction consulting to make sure your plan, your floor plan is right and tight and it has all the design features you want and you've, you've made all the critical decisions that you need to make so that the roughing is right. And people will say, well, uh, I'll, I'll decide what I want later. No, there are some certain things that have to be decided on before you break ground because yeah. then you, you don't get the opportunity to do that roughing again. And just a simple example, if you want, you can get electric all day long, but you can't in the middle of a build job get gas because that's a roughing that's item. Yeah. Right. So anyway, mm-hmm. wow. so things like that. So, wow. yeah, so when I would show up, uh, the builders, oh, they didn't. They weren't quite nice. Uh, however, the respect came the longer they work with me, mm-hmm. because most often the client hires me, and so when he sees that it's going smoothly, when he sees that you know that once it it's done, people are wanting to buy that project before it's even done, or he gets a better return on his event. So then. You know, I earn their respect, and we have a wonderful relationship. But initially, they don't try to really give me the time of the day or none of that. <laughs> wow, wow. Are, th- are there some things that you love more? Um, let me see. Are there some things that you love more than others about your business? Like, what do you love about your business, and what do you dislike about your business? You know what I love about my business is that uh, most often by the time a client comes to me, they've tried to do so much on their own mm-hmm. and they're stressed out and they're, uh, you know, they just feel exhausted from the whole project and the project is no longer fun for them, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I start working with them, and then they see that I get it and I get them and they see that it's coming out in the notes and the drawings that I'm providing for the builder, you, it's almost like you see this weight that just falls off of them. And that's what makes me feel good. That right there makes me feel good. And then when it's done and they get a chance to look back and see or they follow the directions that I give them through my Building Made Easy workshop, I tell them to create a culture for which the builders and the contractors want to come into. You know, we do it when we own companies or we do it on our job. Well, the same applies to your your, uh, construction project. Wow. Huh. The same applies. And so I teach them that. So everybody will not be my client, and I know that. So I have a Building Made Easy workshop that I do maybe it's offered about five times a year. And in that, there are certain things that I teach. There are five specific things that I teach, but that's one of them. And, and the other, you know, is the critical things that you have to do before. And just, a, you know, a lot of little things. But if somebody who knows that they, you know, are comfortable with do, DIY, do it yourself, then they can come, they can listen, they can follow the process and then do it on their own. But then some people, that's not what they want to do, but I still tell them, create a culture. Because if you do, your job is going to be completed faster, nine times out of ten. It's going to happen within budget. Or if it doesn't, you will really understand what prevented that from happening. It's just a whole different dynamic 
yeah. when you establish the right culture. Mm. Wow. That kind of leads into, it's a great segue actually into the next question. What is the importance of business relationships and personal relationships? Because as you're creating a culture, that these, these things are important. And so um, what is the importance then of business relationships and personal relationships? So personal relationships don't always, if you're an entrepreneur, don't mm-hmm. always convert to dollars and cents, right? Yeah. But a professional relationship, it should. But the oh. only way it can is if those individuals know who you are and what you do and how you do it and your best client, right? Mm-hmm. And you know the same for them. Because when you both are informed and you understand that they offer the the type of quality service or product or they have integrity or whatever, you know those things. But Mm -hmm. in order for it to convert to dollars and and referrals and things like that, it's not enough for you to just know that person. You really have to know, and you can't assume you know what they do and how they do. There are a million realtors, but they all do things differently. And they all specialize in different things. And just because uh, you may have some friends that are realtors, they may not be your direct competition. Now, that is where you can have a personal relationship and a business relationship, and it makes sense for both of you because you may serve, you know, one may serve commercial and the other may serve, you know, something totally different, and then you can work together. You're not in competition, but you're absolutely complementing each other. But, you know, but it's yeah. not until you really sit and, and have a one-to-one with somebody and say, okay, what is it that you do? How is it that you do it? Who is your best client? You know, what are you, look, what are you looking for? What are you in need of that's going to help your company grow? Until you ask them those questions, you don't really know them and you can't make assumptions. Because oh, prime example, if anybody meets me and they really don't know who I am, I always make sure I market by saying pre-construction consultant because if I say the word interior, they don't hear anything else I say. And mm-hmm. then they say, oh, you're a decorator. No, I'm not a decorator. Because so, mm-hmm. so, we often make assumptions because we revert back to what only things that we know, right? Yeah. So pre-construction consulting is not something that's just so widely known like marketing or internet marketing. You know, it's not a widely known um, career path. So no one understands it. So you revert back to what you can understand. Interior what? Decorated or designed. That's what, you, that's what most people know. But it's totally different. So, again, you really have to sit with people in order for it to convert to anything, whether it's a personal relationship or a business relationship. And then you all, we have to also respect the fact that if it's a personal relationship, some personal relationships are just supposed to remain personal. They're not there mm-hmm. for it to be business. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's almost like compartmentalized. There are some girlfriends you call because you want to do whatever, you yes. know, and so that's who you call. But then there are certain girlfriends that you call that understand, you know, expanding into certain markets and, you know, tax rates. They understand. You said, so you have to really know what you want from people. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it just – as you were saying that, I thought about, you know, like in a dating relationship, you have to, um, uh, what's the word? You have to define what kind of, you know, of relationship 
you know, it is, you know, whether it's, okay. you know, and I'm old school, you know, it's like, it used to be like going steady. Remember, I don't know if you remember they used to say that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> so, for example, do you want to be married or do you not? Because if you just want to play, I don't want to play. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that type of thing. What do you want? Yes. And then once you know it's fair, you can make a decision on whether or not you want to stay and play or yeah. you want to stay and it can become something more important, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So how how do choices affect your life? Oh, my God. Yeah. So I may know that clearer now than I did two years ago. So I mentioned earlier that, you know, this was the career path I had set for myself or, or the entrepreneur endeavor I had set for myself before I married, right? Mm-hmm. So I was doing this before I married and then married. And he was an entrepreneur, and I was an entrepreneur. And so we did agree to build, uh, you know, the other company. And, and I was in full agreement about that. However, the choice that I made when the industry got bad, you know, years ago, had I been single, I would have had to figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. But because I wasn't single, it was no need for me to figure it out. Now, thank God, I was able to relaunch years later. But again, that was still after I made a conscious choice to then depart from that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And But so choices are so very important. You know, I, I can start with the, the choice I made to one, even pick him as a husband. Mm-hmm. Then the choice I made to come out of that field. Then the choice I made to get back in that field. So what I would say about choice is that, you, is that you really have to be true to yourself and you need to be more informed. Once I divorced, I went to this, um, oh, like a retreat. It was a woman's retreat, a businesswoman's retreat, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're, it was a five-day thing, and on the, like the second to the last day, we were eating dinner, and somebody, uh, some of the single women were talking about this book. And the book is called Intellectual Foreplay, not anything risque. It's just a real good book, series of questions, but it's a really good book. Well, when they mentioned it, because I was just early in the filing, my divorce, you know, I thought I won't be dating for a while, so I will have no need for that book, right, with the attitude. <laughs> but I came home and I told two or three of my single friends that had never been married before. And I said, I hear that this is a good book. I don't know. So they all got it. I go visit one of the friends, and she throws me the book as she's about to walk out the door. She was like, here's the book you had me to order. I liked it. Da, 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 da. So I just politely picked it up. And you know how you pick up something, you're just going to fake read, right? Because I was like, mm-hmm. again, I'm not going to be reading this book. I don't have time for that. Right. So I picked the book up, and I read just a couple of things that I thought, oh, my God. So then I'm sitting, you know, all relaxed, reading the book, And what I realized, had I had that book before I married, I possibly wouldn't even have made the decision that I had made. And it helped me to realize that whatever my getting to know you process was, it was very poor and inadequate. Mm -hmm. Because that book is nothing but a series of questions, and I probably asked 0.03% of the questions that were in that book. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is that, is that so, a book that – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to ask, is it a book that would help entrepreneurs or is it just for, you know? I think it will be. I think it crosses over into any relationship because, again, the name sounds risque, you know, intellectual foreplay, but it is just a series. I can't even remember how many chapters. Let's just say maybe it's 28 chapters, but the chapter will begin and there may be two or three paragraphs, if that, and then it just goes into a series of questions. And so you don't ever want to interrogate anybody, but you do want to be able to incorporate them into just a fun, comfortable, casual conversation. But then you'll get an understanding of what that his childhood was like. You know, was there any abuse in your childhood? Was there, do you guys value paying I mean, just all these questions. And you're thinking to yourself, I wouldn't have asked that. I kept saying that through the whole book. I wouldn't have asked that. Well, why wouldn't I? Yeah. I made a whole lot of assumptions because you, you, we assumed that because you approached me, maybe we have some of the same beliefs. That, that ain't necessarily true. Yeah, yeah. It's not. So the book was an absolute eye-opener for me, and I'm telling you, wow. choices are important, and whatever yeah. the topic, just do research so that you can make an informed decision and bringing someone into your life as a spouse is so important. Like, so it's hard enough for us to operate in purpose when it's just us because we can be the enemy to ourselves and prevent ourselves from being what we need to be just for ourselves. So can you imagine what you have to fight through just as, you know, who you are, but then you have to fight through somebody else's insecurities or lack of information about, what it is and how you do, it's a lot. Mm, yeah. It's a lot. So I would say choices are absolutely very important because if you make poor choices, you never get to a, the destination, whatever the wow. destination may be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man, that that is just fascinating. I, I've never heard of the book, but it sounds fascinating. I maybe I'll put it on the um, just put it in the show notes just in case you know people are interested in that book. Um, I want to move to. I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Yeah, I said put it in the show notes, and if, if yeah. ever we want to do, I don't know if you ever uh, have a bi-yearly event where you get all the people together that were on your podcast, but I have an event center and you ladies can come to the event center and we can chat and sip on tea and talk. Great idea. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great idea. And we will definitely, I'm going to put that in in the show notes too, but I know we have like your, you know, website and all of that, but all of that needs to be included uh, in the show notes. And I'm going to want to have you back on the show, but before we even get to that, I want you you shared so much value. Um I what what are some and, and you've already shared some business tips. But do you have some more business tips you'd like to share with the listeners that they really, because what you just shared about the, that book and, you know, some of the other things that you've already shared, I'm just like, this is just fascinating. So what would be some other tips perhaps you can share with the listeners? Because I know they're going to be really excited to hear, hear some more too. Well, you know, there's so 
many newpreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. Solopreneurs, all these other preneurs, yeah. <laughs> you know, you got going, you know, <laughs> yeah. to put, you know, these preneurs in with Uber and they don't know what ca- tax people don't know what categories to put them in, right? Yep. So what I would say is that um, when you're going to be in business, you got to be in business. And mm-hmm. so, and you have to build the capacity to grow. And so sometimes I see a lot of people making money, but if you want that money to last, you have to create the capacity or make sure that you're doing everything so that it can sustain itself and go forward. So for instance, if a woman is pregnant, she doesn't wait until the baby's born to get the room in order, to buy the clothes. And so I don't necessarily see that as much and maybe Maybe I'm not spending enough enough time, but I see them birthing, but I don't see them growing. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that is good. Yeah. yeah. And so what I would say is that you gotta, you have to, you have to know that if you're able to do that thing, whatever that thing is, and it, if it's making money, then nine times out of ten, things don't always stay the same. So. Yeah as it's time for you to pivot and do something different or to expand upon it or to what, you know, are you in a position, are you thinking about what that, are you going to allow it to grow into its, its um, you know, its stage where it crawls and then it walks and then, you know, it, are you, are you prepared for that? And so those are things that I don't necessarily see, but again, maybe I'm not taking enough time to, to sit and talk to some of these millennials because they are doing diff- things differently. Yeah. than we ever did before. Before, yeah. you know, you couldn't go in business without having a brick and mortar, without having a address or you know, just certain things. Now, I mean, you know, I called Vaughn yeah. Lane the other day to Houston. They don't even have a location for me to walk into. You know, they park their bus in front of uh, downtown Hilton or whatever, and then they take you to the Houston Gallery. I mean, and, and it's a luxury bus line, but mm-hmm. things, things are so different now. They are. They're so different. But build to expand. Don't just don't just open up shop and expect that it's going to be like this for the next thirty years because it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. That is so that would be one. Thing. Yeah. Go ahead. You you got any more? Yeah, that, well, you know that would be one thing, and then I would also, uh, you know, I would also understand the money I'm making. How tax shelters for the money and then how I could use that money better. And so a tax accountant and, and through our, and I'm not saying it because I was a genius at it because by no means was I, that was one thing that I think we struggled with in our business. We kept being taught that we needed to have a good attorney and a good tax person, but we, it, it wasn't until mm-hmm. our final years where we really got that person. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we ha- I'm not saying we didn't have good ones, we had good ones, but because there were certain things that they kind of messed up in certain some of the years, and then certain things that my husband was just doing because of something he was struggling with, that just became a, a difficult thing. But had I had clarity or someone who just stopped and said, okay, if this is going on, then what is making this going? You know, so a good tax attorney and, and a good attorney, because you never want to go to court about anything. Yeah. You always want to mediate. That will just drain your company. 
to have to go to court about anything. And then sometimes there are just certain things that you need to understand about contracts. You need to read contracts thoroughly. You need to understand what that means to you. And then you need to understand that all business is good business. Yeah. If you're on term, uh, you know, and, and they want to do something beyond 30 days, that may not be a good thing for you. You know, and again, being in construction, you see all this 90 day out. I mean, like, that's a lot. That's a lot. But anyway, so yeah. those are some of the things that I would say. Got it. Got it. So what? how did the pandemic impact your business? Did it make things better? Did you have to make a lot of pivots? How, how did it impact your business? Or did it? Well, yeah. It, so, okay, let's just put it like this. <laughs> there was a lot went on. Uh, there was a lot went on, but but now I absolutely I knew then that God's hand was Ooh. was directing, but it becomes clearer and clearer every day. Yeah. So I filed for divorce April 2019, and at that time we had a commercial cleaning company, and we had terminals uh, we had terminals uh, A, C, and E, or so. I, and I may be saying those wrong at the DFW airport. So that means that those were that, those were just an example of large contracts that we had, right? Right. right. And so uh, due to just a lot of different things, mm-hmm. officially I closed the company January 15th after putting it on the market and not being able to sell it because of the dynamics that was going on, right? Sure. So March, that's January 2020, March 2020 comes, the pandemic hits. And remember I told you we had a commercial cleaning company, right? Mm-hmm. So from January to probably July, July, I was back and forth because we had to transfer our employees over to our partner. You know, so every so often, it wasn't day to day, but every so often I have to do something to make sure that everything was going well, right? So nobody mm-hmm. suffered, right? Mm-hmm. And at that time, cleaning people were calling, talking about, well, we, we ain't coming to work because, you know, the whole, this whole mentality on working is different now. Oh, it is. It oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And so now mm-hmm. you're the cleaning crew, but you can't come to work. <laughs> right? So do you right. see? Yeah. So God protected me mm-hmm. from the I – mean, now I am more than thankful that that happened. Okay, so that was that was one company closing, and then August 2021, I said a prayer July, and I said, Lord, I just want to get back to my happy place. Mm-hmm. No sooner than I said that prayer, I had two phone calls, and one was a friend, and she was like, girl, I remember you used to do something design. I'm not for sure what, but, and so, you know, and so that was God showing me a little door that opened. Yeah. And then the second call, call, I said, oh, you opened the door. And I thought, I'm going through the door. Yeah. So one company closed, another company opened. Wow. So the pandemic, so if you ask what the pandemic did, it protected me from one thing, right? Yes. Because I would not have wanted to be, like, I, I, I would have given my all. But having the challenges that I was already having with with the husband and then having the challenges with all these employees, God knew Mm. that it was time. 
for yeah. me to end one chapter and go to another chapter. And so since I launched, relaunched the design company August 2020, mm-hmm. it was virtual. So if you talk to a lot, a lot of other designers, they can't figure out and they don't know how or they don't w- even want to do stuff virtually. Well, my whole program is now set up virtually mm. because that's when I relaunched, yes. right? So yes. those were the things. So for me, I'm not saying that I, you know, appreciate COVID, but I felt like God took time to spend time with each and every one of us, no matter what country, no matter what nationality. I think he was reserving that so that we can see him clearly, hear him clear. I I just think it was a, I don't know. It was like a kingdom reset, I think. I think so too. I really think so. So for me, it, it, uh, it shed it, the old, and it Mm -hmm. ushered in the new, and I am very grateful, you know, yeah. for it. But, you know, I think that that's why I said to you before is that nothing ever stays the same. So in business, you got to build for capacity. So even though I launched August 2020, when I launched, I start working on my processes and my procedures and my programs because just because I launched, I didn't run out there and try to go get all these, you know, like mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that, as I brought them in, I had a process for everything. Yes. Right? Yes. And so because once I get busy, all I need to do is point you in the direction of that paperwork so you'll know what it, how, how this goes, what it needs to do. Because, see, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. You are so talking my language, I tell you. Uh, oh, my gosh. So – Let's talk about what exciting things you've got coming up. I know, I'm sure you've got some workshops, and I love the fact that you're doing things virtually because I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to, to tell you I so love working virtually. It's just insane. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I agree yes. with you. So yes. what I have working on, work, what I'm working on, and, and I – I'll tell you what I'm working on, and then I'll share with you how it links back to processes and procedures, right? Sure. Okay, so, again, my company is Acclaimed Design and Development, and I do pre-construction consulting. But my studio, my workplace, is also been converted into a, um, a private event venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a loft, and it has a rooftop, and it's well-designed. So, therefore, I expanded the services. So, Acclaim does one thing, but then the Studio Loft does another thing. And under Acclaim, I do um, Building Made Easy workshops. There's about five a year, and they're listed on the website. So, uh, with that, I have the consulting, the workshops. So, regardless, they should be able to get in contact with me one way or the other. And then we're working on doing some type of social experience that allows people to come into the design studio to do these little exercises or experiences. And I, don't, and I hate to say the word Airbnb, but Airbnb has this thing called social experiences. And so we're going to put it under that umbrella so more people have access to it. But they don't come stay here. It's just you come for that hour and you do whatever the experience is, whether it's you know, learn to do a floor plan overnight or learn to make pasta. They just have experiences. So anyway, so that's what I have uh, coming up. So the next workshop will be in February. Uh, The promotion for the loft space 
uh, for rental. We have a promotion that's going from November the 15th through January the 15th. I think if you book two hours, you get one hour free. And mm-hmm. uh, so by the time that airs, that may, but we'll, I'm sure we'll have another promotion, no problem. They just have to go to the web, website for that. But those are the things that uh, we are working on now and um, that I enjoy doing. Oh, my goodness. I so love it. I mean, you know, the way you're explaining, it, it sounds so innovative and you know, how you have created this business to, uh, you know, to create the type of experience that you're, you know, creating for those who, you know, engage with you. Um, I just love it. I went to the website. I love the website. And, uh, yeah, it, it just all sounds so exciting. And so we're, we're, we're definitely going to have to connect, you know, in person. I, I would love to come to the studio and, you know, see, you know, how you got things set up and all that kind of stuff because it sounds so exciting and, um, and innovative. That's the word I keep coming up with, you know. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, go ahead. You were going to say something and are you, you got something to say in closing. Let's hear it. Well, <laughs> uh, in closing, I am excited that you're doing this because I think women mm-hmm. all over the world need to know the different things that we're doing. I believe, you know, before we only kind of knew the careers that were like doctors, but there's so many people that are doing, you know, just phenomenal things. So I'm very appreciative of you allowing me to come. I would like to sit and talk to you more about having you and some of the ladies into this space because I believe that that does, you know, virtual is one thing and I'm all for it, but Mm -hmm. every so often just that interaction is really, really good. And I'd say for anybody who's wanting to build a home, uh, consider custom because by the time you pay for a semi-custom home, you could have been very strategic, strategic, whether it be small or large, and get a home that fits your lifestyle, that looks and feels like you, that greets you when you come through the door and you see everything that is a reflection of what you've worked hard for. So consider custom building instead of semi-custom and don't be afraid of it. One of the little things that I have on my website, it says that, and I'm probably paraphrasing it, but basically the dream of your the the dream that you had of you building the home should be as an enjoyable as the experience of building it. Meaning, you know, we dream it and it's an enjoyable dream. So it needs to remain in that realm. It it doesn't need to get difficult or you know, because uh, sometimes the process can be if you don't have somebody that consult, can consult you through it and help you achieve those things that you want to achieve in your process, in your wow. project. I love that. That is, I mean. Hi, this is Aldrema Harper, and thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you got value for where you are in your entrepreneurial endeavor. And if you'd like to know more about how I can further serve you, simply go to CoachDreama.com. Again, that's CoachDreama.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Have an amazing day.